0: today, I want to talk to you about the power of the resurrection, the power of what Jesus wants for each and every one of us, what the power of the resurrection means. It means a new beginning. It means a new start. It means to be born again. It means to have everlasting life. It means to have life in the abundance, if you will, the fulfilled life right here, right now for each and every one of us. It's not just for the temporal, it's for the eternal. And outside of the resurrection, there would be no eternal. So if you'd please stand for, stand with me this morning, not for me, but stand with me this morning as we read the scripture, Mark chapter 16. When Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Isn't that interesting? They were already on their way, and now they're asking the question. None of us are strong enough to do it. But there had to have been a prompting here. Verse 4, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Verse 7. This is the verse I want to focus on this morning. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You may be seated. It's very interesting to me. I don't know that I've noticed this before as I was reading through the four gospels this week. Uh, and and here's the interesting thing. In, in 2020, when we, we did Easter at home, if you remember that, I actually preached on Peter and I missed this very verse. There's a young man who's sitting inside the tomb and, and these women go into the tomb and this young man tells them, hey, I want you to go tell the disciples and Peter. They specify, he specifies Peter. Now, as you read all of the gospel stories, you'll find out that Matthew calls him an angel. John says there's two angels on the outside of the tomb. Luke calls the men, watch this, two men whose clothes gleamed like lightning. Now, I started to wear those clothes this morning, but I couldn't find them yesterday while I was shopping. Anyway, there's there's this other account here in Luke that says, man, these guys were like glowing, Right? And yet the one in the tomb tells the women to go and tell the disciples, but then specifies Peter. Now, most of us already have an idea of why Peter had to be specified, but here's what I love about it. Look, no matter where you are in life, no matter what you've done in life, no matter where you were last night, God knows. And the one that disqualifies you is known as the accuser, not the acquitter. Because what Jesus has done through the power of the resurrection has called us all to be found not guilty in him. Amen? And so here's Peter and obviously Peter needed a little reinforcement. We all know this. And so most of us would say, well, Peter denied Jesus. And this must be why he needed to be told. But there's no doubt there's more going on with Peter than just what we can see, possibly even more than what we can read. Because When we see Peter after the resurrection, he's gone back to this place of the nets. He's gone back to this place of how it was, how it used to be. How many times, church, do we do this very thing? We come and we celebrate Easter. People dress up like Easter eggs. We're all happy. We get along today. We hug one another. We can't wait to go and eat roast or whatever you've got going on. And then we say, well, did Jesus really move among us? Or possibly, possibly will next week look just like this week in my life. You see, that's what today is all about, the power of this resurrection, the excitement in the morning. Simon Peter in Luke chapter 5, we see where he's out fishing all night. He didn't catch anything and now he was washing his nets. And by the way, just so you know, washing your nets was hard work. Washing your nets was not something that every wanted to do. Washing your nets was one of those things that you wanted to find someone who was younger, someone who had energy, someone with a strong back, someone who who was looking to work, someone who possibly wanted to apprentice as a fisherman or and, and come alongside of someone who knew how to run a business. And you would look for these young men and you would employ them into service and have them wash your nets. But in this particular case, we see that Peter's washing his own nets. Washing your nets could take two to three hours. You had to get the minerals from the water off of the nets or else the nets would rot. And so he had been up all night fishing, washing his nets. He's very, very tired. And now Jesus steps into his boat in Luke chapter 5, and he begins to teach. And I'm sure that Simon thought of things just like we would. Right? Are you serious? Come on, man. I'm tired. I've been out all night, and now you want to have church in my boat? I mean, we pick up the story in verse 4, and this is what it says. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon had to be thinking. Matter of fact, Simon wasn't just thinking this church. Look at what Simon said, master. Okay, that word master in the Greek can mean a couple of different things. It can mean teacher, it can mean rabbi. Same word here, all right? So he says, rabbi, teacher, master, uh, look, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, right, because you are my master, they've already agreed to follow Jesus at this time. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. In verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. All of a sudden he realized that, that this one who stands in front of him actually has the power to even command fish to go into the net. There's something special about this man, which he knew, but this man was looking out for Simon's interest. You know, sometimes we forget that, that, the, that God wants the very best for us. We say no to him. We reject him. We walk in our physical power instead of the spiritual power of Jesus Christ in our life. And the reason we do it is simply for this, this reason, because does God really know my name? Does he really care? I mean, between all the people and all the Christians and all the Christians who have gone before me, does he really know who I am? And that's what I love about the passage of Scripture that we started with. He says, hey, go get the disciples. But listen, make sure you tell Peter. Isn't that cool? Make sure you tell Curtis. I know where Curtis, I know what he said. He's going to walk with me and he's going to do all these great things for me. But make sure you go tell him because I have a feeling after what he did, what he said, how he acted. I mean, I ate a peanut buster parfait yesterday at the Dairy Queen. That's not good for me. Jesus didn't call me to do that, right? But church, I did it. It wasn't the best thing for me. I neglected myself and possibly even neglected Jesus in that. But here we're told that James and John had left their nets to follow Jesus as well. And over the next three years, just think about about this with me for a moment, church. They would see and experience some amazing things. Life is good. There's no worries. Just follow Jesus and he will take care of your taxes. He will heal the sick. He will show you how to live. But three years later, things began to look a lot different. And we talked about that a little bit last week. Jesus started speaking about this horrific death he was going to experience. And in order to find life, you were going to have to lose life. And the disciples aren't wanting to hear it to the point that even Peter... In Matthew chapter 16, he rebukes Jesus himself. Jesus, may it not be. And Jesus said, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You can't see the bigger picture. You're trying to do this in your own strength and not the strength that I have for you. And in Mark chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said, you will all fall away. So if Jesus said, you will all fall away, church, you've got to hear me. When Jesus breathed his last, there were no more disciples. Apostles were scattered. I mean, we're we're looking at a man who professed to be God who's hanging on a cross now. And Jesus said this will happen if you strike the shepherd or when the shepherd gets stricken, look what's going to happen. The sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter declared, even if I'll fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted, the scripture says emphatically. Normally you have to, to know that, that word in the Greek to know if it has an emphatic expression on it. And here in the English, it says emphatically. Peter himself said, if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. We forget to read that about all the others, don't we? All the others said it as well. You remember Peter. Peter's the one that, in Matthew 16, same chapter, Peter's the one that Jesus said, hey, who do people say that I am? And Peter jumped in there and he said, you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And he makes this profession and then Jesus tells Peter some very important words. He said, Peter, you are the rock at which I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail over it. Something going on here about Peter there's something about him being a zealot for the Lord look in both the accounts that we just read we see this something the other disciples they're in agreement but you know Peter's emphatic I will not let me ask you something church have you ever said surely that won't be me I won't do that I'm never going to eat another peanut butter parfait in my life I said that last year but it gets worse than that we know that. I'm never going to say that again. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to look at that again. I'm never going to to act this way again. I, I, I've got the power to change. I'm going to change. I'm going to transition. I'm going to read books. I'm going to study. I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to discipline myself. But look, all those things in your own power will never be enough. It'll never be enough. This is why Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go. For if I do not go, the helper, the parakletos in the group, which, or in the Greek means the helper, the one who comes along aside, the one who stands you up from the back, the one who actually turns his back and stands next to you like this in order to fight off the enemies where you possibly could be vulnerable to rejecting or denying Christ. So Jesus is simply doing what he has to do. All of us have given an emphatic, Lord, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But those are Jesus's words. Those shouldn't be our words. Our words should simply be, I will follow you. And while Peter, uh, in, in Mark's gospel, continuing on to pick this up in verse 66, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. Then she saw Peter warming himself she looked closely at him. You also, you were with that Nazarene, weren't you? She said. That Nazarene Jesus. And he does this two more times. And look, the last time that, that he is accused, he, he says, surely I wasn't there. It wasn't me. I don't even know the man that you're talking about. And the last time that he denies Christ, before the rooster crows... You know what Peter said, you know what the scripture says, says he cussed about it. He even cussed. Come on now, how many of you said I'll never cuss again? Don't raise your hands, this isn't confessional, but go before the Lord. He needs to tame the tongue, right? And so, verse 72, immediately the rooster crowed the second time, then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken with him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Now, I want to do a, I would say, a comparison or a juxtaposition between a couple of people right here. I want you to see a response. The response that we have with Peter is that he broke down and he wept. There was another one that not only denied Jesus, but betrayed Jesus. And you know this disciple as, as Judas. And so Judas has, has done this now. What was his response? His response was in the temporal. His response was in the fleshly. His response wasn't just to, to break down and weep. His response was to go and take matters into his own hands. The scripture says that he not only withdrew, he ran away and hung himself. He, he gave a temporal answer to an eternal solution. Don't do that, church. Look, We all have denied to some extent. We've all said we won't go down that road. But can we hear God, Jesus Himself, calling us by name this morning? Oh, I know you. Before you were knit in your mother's womb, I had this name for you. I created you for my plan, for my purpose, for this time. That's God's call to each one of us, church. Look, When we look at Luke's account, in Luke 22, verse 54, i preached on this a hundred times. When I say it, you're going to say, don't go down that road, Curtis. So I won't. But what we find, it says, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. And yet Peter followed from a distance. But I want you to know that distance wasn't too far. Because when we're talking about here where Peter denies Jesus in this courtyard, the courtyard itself is about 150 feet by 40 feet. But the entryway is where they would have been found, which is about 30 feet by 40 feet. Which, by the way, this across here is a little less, or I mean a little more than 40 feet. So you can imagine, you can hear me fine. And, and here's what we know, a 30 by 40 foot barn is the most common barn in West Texas to be built. And my kids come into mine all the time and they can hear what I say. They they can We can have a conversation if I'm at one end of the barn and they're at the other. Now, why am I making this point? Because I want you to know that Jesus didn't just hear Peter emphatically deny him, if you will. In the spirit, he hurt him physically. And when Peter began to cuss and saying, I don't know him. I don't know this guy that you're talking about. I've never followed him. And he uses this cussing, this cursing, if you would. I believe it's cussing, not cursing. There's a difference. But as they, as he would say those things and say those words, Jesus is right there. And he not only hears him, he sees him. And the scripture makes it clear that this is the case. Verse 60, Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. And verse 62 says, And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Now this is the beginning of the passion, there's no doubt. By this time, Jesus has already been beaten upon, he's been spat upon, his beard has been pulled out. He's not doing well and Peter's like, what is going on with my Lord? So there's no doubt that Jesus has been pushed around, slapped around, beaten to some degree as they began to take him away and the passion was about to begin in a massive way. And here is Jesus who looked intently at Peter with tears, with blood, blood-soaked brow. He's already undergone, gone like we spoke about last week, hematidrosis, paper-thin skin being pushed and shoved, and this rooster crows. And Jesus hears it too, and his eyes fix on Peter. How do you think Peter felt? Shame, guilt, weakness, my ability, or lack thereof. I said I would never do this and look at what I've done. And not only did Jesus hear me spiritually, He sat there and watched me physically. You see, but Jesus' eyes were not eyes of condemnation. This is where we have to understand God's love, His mercy, His kindness. They're not eyes of condemnation. Their eyes of compassion, their eyes of mercy. If Peter would have been close enough to Jesus, I bet he would have heard Jesus say, Peter, see now why I must do what I must do. You can't, but I can. And when I say if, if Jesus were in that close of proximity, he was, he just wasn't in a way to respond to Peter at that time. His eyes weren't eyes to disqualify for Jesus had already qualified him. And church, that's my first point this morning, is don't disqualify the qualified. Don't listen to the accuser. Listen to the one who acquitted you, who calls you by name, who knows you by name, who understands your strengths and helps you in your weaknesses. This is the God of love. This is what He's done for us. The Scripture says His mercy endures forever. So don't disqualify the qualified. Look, success is. Uh, Winston Churchill said it this way. He said, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. And that's going to be what really is the demarcation for Peter in his life, is he had the will. He understood my God understands. It's not in my qualification. It's in who qualified me. And see, there are things that unqualify us if we are not careful. All of us at times have been so close to Jesus and we've emphatically stated, Lord, not me. And in the words of my mother, Eloise House, she would tell me famous last words. Right? And yet, the power of the resurrection is for me too. In my strength I can't, but in His I can. When I try to qualify, when I try to live in my own righteousness, the apostle Paul said, my righteousness is but filthy rags, but my righteousness has been exchanged for holy righteousness in Christ Jesus. I would say disappointment can lead to disillusion. Now church, I want to take us down a road that, that is one that I, I really prayed about. Should we go down this road this morning? But I think we should because I think you have to see what Peter actually saw. Have you ever thought how disappointed the disciples must have been to witness Jesus going to the cross? Even though he told them he would, he, that this would happen, they just couldn't hardly believe that this could happen to the God of the universe. They had followed him for three years and now he would die. They've given their lives for him. This is amazing to me because Jesus, the one who would hang on the cross, the ones who not only the Jews, the Gentiles, if you will, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious scribes, along with the Romans that were in that court upon his accusations, they would all blast him with these accusations. And one of those accusations was simply this. He saved others. Can he not save himself? In other words, he's raised others from the dead. We've witnessed this. Jesus, there's a guy that died by the name of Lazarus, and here's Jesus that shows up way late, days late. And he shows up and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus didn't just come out, he came out with a grave clothes on. And people are saying, man, this is our Jesus, and he's on this cross, and we just witnessed something, that he just breathed his last. And we've given everything up, for 3 years and we've witnessed the god of life within him we've witnessed him as being the god of life we've witnessed him bring others to life and yet he cannot save himself is what the scripture says you can imagine what they felt like have you ever thought taking someone you probably have not thought this i'm the only one morbid enough to think this what it looks like to take a dead person off a cross years ago i was called out to uh person's house. And it was an elderly woman. And she asked me to come. She had heard early that morning, her husband fall in the shower and her wheelchair wouldn't fit down the hallway. So she asked if I would come check on him because the, the shower was still on. And so I, uh, when I got there, I went back to the back and sure enough, he was deceased and uh, I drug him out of the shower. And um, it, it was a, a sad state of affairs, but rigor mortis had set in. And so I, I didn't even call 911. I I actually called Roland Brooks. Many of you know him, Brooks Funeral Home. I called Roland said, Roland, uh, i got a situation here. I need you to come help me with. So Roland shows up, and we had to work his arms out and everything else because of rigor mortis in order to fit him in a body bag to carry him out of the house. Have you ever thought what the disciples saw when Joseph of Arimathea asked if he could take down Jesus' body, and when he would take his body down, what Jesus must have looked like. I followed this man for three years, and he's dead, guys. He's dead. And they loosen his arms up, and they bring his arms into his side, and they roll him up, his lifeless body. They wrap him in, this, in these grave clothes. See, death is a final existence in this life. However, not for Jesus, as we know, because that's what we're celebrating today, but the pain and the disappointment from Mary to the disciples and those who had hope that a change was coming. And when we see Peter again, look, he's gone back to, to fishing as he knew it. In John chapter 21, that's what he's doing, disappointed, disillusioned, and disheartened. And I think sometimes life throws such battles at us and such arrows at us that we too go, Jesus, are you even there? Can you resurrect this situation? Can you redeem this situation in my own life? Church, never become disappointment, disappointed to a place that it leads you to disillusion. Jesus doesn't give up on us either. Look, We might give up on him and we should never do so. But I want you to hear something. Jesus never gives up on us. He is our hope. Had the story of Jesus ended there, I wouldn't be here and neither would you, church. We know how the story ends because it doesn't end. Jesus told Peter, Peter, you're the rock in which I will build my church. And after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, Peter preaches the first sermon about Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, verse 32, watch the words of Peter. Now, you can go read this first sermon that he preaches, but this is a powerful sermon, and he says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So Peter doesn't say, I'm a witness of his death. You know what Peter says? I'm a witness of his resurrection. And because of his resurrection, I will preach. And he preaches. In his first sermon, 3,000 souls are added that day. Peter would become such a godly man that that so many things we read about would take place. But the greatest thing that we see from Jesus' very words to Peter Do you remember, Peter, you are the rocket which I will build my church. 3,000 people added. Now watch what happens here, church. Very important that we see this. Not only are 3,000 souls added that day, but today there are almost 2.4 billion people around the world that are Christians. I don't know if I would say followers of Christ. I pray that we all become disciples of Jesus Christ, but I would say right now it's almost 2.4. Let me tell you how much that is. That's more than the United States and Russia combined. It's almost the same population as China. From a man who denied Christ to a man who learned what it meant to walk in the power of the resurrection. See, when, when this angel said, hey, go tell the disciples, but especially Peter. I got something that's pretty major that he can't see. I've got something. I created this man for something that is so great that is going to transform and help transform the world to set up my kingdom here upon this earth. Is so great, he can't miss this. He's got to see that I no longer and never have condemned him. See, it's amazing to me what God can do if we'll just listen and hear Him call our name. Because it's the resurrected Savior that calls our name, church. See, when the young man said, go tell the disciples and Peter, it shows that Jesus never gives up on us either. He has bigger plans than what we can imagine. Jesus reminds us, fear not, for I'm with you. See, the very lips that denied Christ would be the very ones that would preach so mightily and start this movement that we have here today. The lips that cursed and cussed would one day tell a beggar, silver and gold I have none, but what I do give you is Jesus of Nazareth. So arise, take up your mat and go. The same one who denied Jesus would one day walk into a woman's room by the name of Dorcas from Joppa and say, arise, get up and watch her be raised from the dead. He would baptize Cornelius and all of his company. The dying would actually look to lay down on the streets, hoping that Peter's own shadow would cross them in order for them to be healed, because Peter walked now in the resurrection power. So look, church, I don't know what crows at you this Easter, but it's time to come out of the grave and into the light, to be a part of the light, to live in his strength, and not a strength of your own but a strength of Christ Himself that is the resurrected power. What does God want to do with you this morning, church? Maybe it's time to listen to Jesus and and begin to live in His resurrection power because He calls us by name and yet too many of us still walk around with grave clothes on. Grave clothes on. Jesus wants us to follow closely, to li- listen closely. It's time for the church to rise up to be the hope for the world, to be the bride of Christ, living in the power of His resurrection, understanding the power of the word redemption, because what God touches, He redeems. So I would have to say that if God calls you by name and He knows you by name, His plan and purpose is so great that no matter what you have done, if you were with me this week, the south end of the cross, piercing. Let me say this. You may have missed this. In Matthew there's something that's, that's huge about Jesus' death. Now, I don't preach this often for this reason. Because a lot of times we say the power of the resurrection raised 500 people. At the same time, Scripture says 500 saints were seen walking among them. But that was the power of His death. That's the power of the south end of the cross. That's the power of God intersecting this world. And there's no sin that Jesus cannot come down and redeem you from. That's the power of our God. See, to be that bride of Christ, living in the power of His resurrection, to throw our nets out on the right side of the boat and allow Jesus to make us fishers of men once again. In John chapter 21, and I'm sure all of you know this and all of you have seen this, but in John chapter 21, you have uh, Jesus and you have Peter and Jesus is on the coast and Peter hasn't seen necessarily Jesus yet not in John's Gospel, but you'll see something that, that Jesus says, hey, have y'all caught anything through the night? No. Well, how about you throw your net over on the right side of the boat instead of the wrong side? He doesn't say the wrong side. Let's throw it over on the right side of the boat. And the catch was too heavy. They couldn't bring it in. And immediately Peter said, that's my Lord. And He lives. And because of that, I too shall live. And because of that, when I die, And they look to hang me on the cross. You know what Peter said? Don't hang me like my Savior. He's no longer afraid. He's no longer fearful. There's nothing in him other than a witness of Jesus Christ. His story now tells Jesus' resurrected story. And he tells those who who would take his life one day, hang me upside down for I'm not worthy to hang on a cross right side up like my heavenly Father. You know, church, God... Is calling each one of us. Jesus is calling each one of us by name. And no matter what you've done, the resurrection story goes far deeper in any debt that you think needs or cannot be paid. And he is here today because he lives. And because he lives, we can all face our tomorrows with great hope that he has a plan and a purpose for us. Would you please stand? I'm gonna ask the altar team to make the way forward this morning. And I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, there at home or here today, Peter did something that all of us can learn from. He said, you know, he denied Jesus and the Scripture says that he wept, that he, he knelt down at one time and he said, I'm not worthy. And the Lord said, in your flesh you're not, but in me you are. And I have a great plan and a purpose for you. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to encourage you to go before Him and ask Him to come into your heart. I also want to encourage you this morning that it doesn't stop there with Him just being your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. And when He became Peter's Lord all the way throughout his life, great things happened, and Peter continued to hear Jesus calling. I think it's an awesome story of redemption. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? You see, God restored Peter, and through the power of his resurrection, he restores each and every one of us. Father God, I pray for the one who feels they need you the most as well as the one who feels they need you the least this morning. Let them feel and experience the power of your resurrection. Father, we bless you And we thank you, Father, that Easter is celebrated every Sunday right here because we walk through the power of the redeeming blood of the Lamb who is worthy and is worthy to receive glory, honor, and praise. May you be praised this day throughout the churches in the world. Father, may your light shine bright in your name. Amen. You're welcome to come forward and receive prayer.